Sometimes it's just a wonder that we get this amazing Word of God to go through. We get the words of Jesus when He was on earth that we get to study and hear. And so I invite you to that this morning in Mark chapter 9. I don't have a huge introduction. I want you to see this amazing, amazing passage that we get to be in this morning. It's impacting to me. I want to dive right in. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. I'll put it on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you're certainly invited to. And Mark chapter 9, it says this, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know. Verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They don't understand the saying. That's the very center of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected. This is the core, right? This is what they're first hearing. And we've heard it too. And we understand this is the core of Christianity. And the reality is, as they started and we start today, this is a central concept to everything about us. Not that we would be better us, but death and resurrected. The center of Christianity, right? The cross. So come with me to life. We we live by death and resurrection. The wonder of living is a gift of God who suffered and died for you. Today, we I, I, wanna, I want you to show, because we get that. I, I know if I walk up to anyone and I say, hey, what did Jesus do? They'll say, well, he died and he was resurrected. And then we leave it and we go on with life. Not today. Today, come with me. Will you see the Word of God as the application, the wonder of what this means for our life, of Jesus Christ died and he rose again? Walk with it. That, that, that's that's the center as he goes. They don't understand. And, and the interesting thing is now in three areas of achievement and of belonging and of judgment, those sound like, oh, why are those even important? But they all go together for this amazing life you and I get to leave, live because of the resurrection. Because of the suffering of Jesus for you and for me. So let's take a look how it flavors your life, death, resurrection, and first achievement. Right? Because Jesus is teaching them this stuff and they don't understand. And at the same time, they're talking. Because they came to Capernaum. This is going to be one section. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, I was telling you about death and resurrection. What were you guys talking about? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. (laughs) They knew there was a little problem there. They weren't going to tell Jesus. We're actually talking about who's the best, right? Jesus, you're talking about going and dying and rising and these things. Okay, okay, okay. I wonder, I wonder who's the best, who's the greatest. 
I wonder what the criteria was. <laughs> Can you think about what they might have asked each other? What they were actually discuss- discussing? Well, you know, when Jesus sent us out, I covered the most ground. I went to five or six towns. Whoa, 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 whoa. I cast out 12 demons, and you only did two and a half. And there was that one you couldn't do. Remember that? No, 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 you don't understand. When Jesus goes anywhere, he takes me. I'm the closest to you. I get up early every time with Jesus. I'm greater. Whether it's strength or position or usefulness or personal piety, whatever moral or spiritual achievement, something to show, something to tell, that they're advancing beyond others. Who's the greatest? Right? And, 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 and that's what they're talking about while Jesus is talking about death and resurrection, his suffering, his raising from the dead. I want you to notice that they don't ever actually tell Jesus, but he knows. Because it says in verse 35, he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. He knows and he gives them this phrase. I don't know about you, but this shaped my whole life growing up. This and, 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 and boy, it's tempted to take this a certain way, and it might be shaping yours right now. It goes like this. I want to be great. How? And Jesus hears that, and so he says, here, I'll show you how to be great. Be a servant. And, and you start to see if in this method of thinking, this is what Jesus is saying here. He's not. But just walk down this pathway with me. The pathway that I was, I did this for years. It shaped me for years. I didn't take it in context. I didn't think it through. I just thought, oh, I want to be great. I, I want to be the best me I can. I want to advance. And that means let other people go first and serve people all the time. Off to the races I went. How about you? Because that's how people tell you Jesus is setting the new standard for you and me. And we can have this discussion, right? Then we can have the discussion. We just change the terms. Then you and I can have a discussion about who's the greatest, and we can compare service. Or, you know what, church meals, you ever watch? Who lets everyone else go first? Like we can battle over who goes last. Because then we would be the greatest. We can battle over who's going to show up earliest to the church service projects. How many things are you serving in? Come on, pull it out. Give me the list. And you start to go down. What are you doing? You're describing your achievements, and now you just use this verse to change what the marker is. You know, the marker used to be how long did you pray or something like that, or how much did you whip yourself. Now the marker is going to be how much do you serve. Same game, different goalposts. So what you think Jesus is doing here is just moving the goalposts then you can use this verse. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you ever sung the song? Learn to be the servant of all. That's an interpretive choice from this verse. It doesn't say learn to be the servant of all. Let me, let me, let me, let me suggest something. Jesus isn't interested in the same game, just moving the goalposts. He's not interested in you Finding another way that you can be the greatest in the kingdom of God. He's interested in getting rid of the game. And so when he says, if 
if you have this desire, that's what it means. If you desire to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you must be the last and be the servant. He's taking his hands and pushing you off a cliff. You have this desire? Go sit at the bottom. Because it's a problem for you. It's not a pathway to greatest. It's not to make yourself great. It's this problem we have that we're able to advance beyond others. It means I need to go wash dishes. Not to get anywhere, to break your pride, to stop the game. It's the same idea with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler where, where the rich young ruler came to Jesus and, and <laughs> talked to him about, oh, teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, what, well, how do you think? And he gives him the law and he says, I've done it all. And Jesus loves it. Oh, one thing you lack. Go sell all your stuff. We know, right, that it's not selling all your stuff that gets you to heaven. But we know that that was his problem. He loved his stuff. So Jesus says, get rid of it. So our problem and the problem of the disciples here, we want to be great. What does Jesus do? Go get rid of it. It's holding you back. Because, because, what was the message he's trying to teach them? I'm going to go die and I will be resurrected. What's that called? You need to receive me. You need to receive Jesus. All you're going to get is in receiving. That, that That's it. And so look what Jesus does. He takes a child and he puts this little child in the midst of them and, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus takes in this culture... Not like, oh, look at the little baby. Look, no poopy diaper. Just smiling and giggling at you. Oh, cute baby. We love, no, 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 no. That's not this. This culture, there's a whole idea that kids are almost subhuman. There's no value in them. All they do is take. They have no ability to be great or anything. They're just fodder until they become adults. That's how they thought about kids. So he takes the least human, most sub-person, a child, and he says to them, if you receive them, you receive me. So I'm like that. God represented by the least valuable person that you can imagine. Receiving the most non-person there is, the weakest, most vulnerable, least significant human being is the clearest signpost to the kingdom of God. Not This is not make yourself like that person. This is... Realize you are that. That's who you are. If you need, if you need to wash some dishes to see it, do it. Take this, the many commentators think he picks up a little girl. It's a neuter pronoun in the text. Says, hey, that there, this little girl, there's no standing, never going to have a conversation about is she great? And this little girl just receives the greatness of God in Christ. And, and, and you, you sit there with your good works and you argue about who's done the most. Jesus says to his disciples who he loves. So so God says this little kid is a stand-in for me, and if you receive them, you receive me. And test that for greatness. I know, you're great, kid. If you just receive Jesus. It doesn't help you advance in the kingdom even a little bit to serve another person. It doesn't help you advance in heaven 
to do anything on earth. You are in Christ by receiving Jesus, and here you are receiving him today. It's fantastic. You're so amazingly valued because you receive the Son of God. It's a radically different way, right? His death and his resurrection. This is why we say the death and resurrection of Jesus at the center is so impacting on how you think about everything, because if you put that at the center, these other things aren't at the center. Achievement is what Jesus has done for you. Receive it. You you mean I don't have to go last in line? No. You mean I don't have to show up for all church projects that we need to work? No. Right? Here's the thing. They don't get you anything. Don't miss me. That doesn't mean you won't do them. Just think if you actually get the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you and He lives for you and He's got you all the way through your life no matter what happens to you. What gets birth in your heart? Gratitude. I want to. I want to go last. I want to come serve. Jesus has done amazing things, but what sneaks in in this self-oriented motivation that you and I have, that they had in the text, to argue about who's the best? It's amazing. It's deadly. And so this death and resurrection, it affects how we think about achievement. The game's done. It's not just about achievement, it's about belonging. John says in verse 38 to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. (laughs) Jesus, there's that wackadoodle guy over there. And he's doing these, he's not shaping up. We need to put him under our authority. We need to stop him because he's doing stuff in your name. We're the right ones. He needs to get with our program. That's what they're saying, right? Like he didn't just hear what Jesus has said to him. We see this a lot, right? Other churches or other ministries or other people, they're doing stuff you think is kind of awkward. Maybe it's not very theologically inclined. We gotta stop them. We gotta show them that they're, they need to be under us. Jesus said, do not, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. Not just that, he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Right, because this guy's doing something beneficial. He's healing someone. He's helping someone. And and then Jesus says, let him be. Particularly, this person was blessing people in the name of Jesus. And so he says these two things, right? For one, if he's doing those things, he, he, he's not very soon going to take my name wrongly. He's thinking well of me. That's a good thing. And then secondly, maybe he'll bless you. And, and I'm so excited. Do you, do you see how he says it? He, he says, you, you, child of God, maybe he'll give you a glass of water, and that'll be a great thing because you're part of the kingdom. You belong to me. How do you belong to Jesus? What he was telling them at the beginning of the passage, I'm going to go die and suffer for you, and I'll be resurrected. Receive me. I'm in by believing that Jesus actually did these things, 
by trusting in this Savior. It, it, he doesn't he doesn't set a new bar for you now to try to follow him spiritually or morally. Instead, he's like, you really do belong, and the people in the world want to bless you, or 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 that's that's fantastic. See what he's fighting? He's fighting our desire to bring everyone under our banner and make a movement. We're not a movement. We're a people who belong to Jesus. We're a group of losers, right? Last week we talked about being on the island of misfit toys, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Right? We're, 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 we're connected to Christ by a single amazing act of God, not by personal purity and uniformity of belief and practice. It's a bigger tent than we know because sin no longer is important. And whoa, hang on. Belonging to Jesus is important. It's life-changing how you think you have to live and how you think you have to make other people live. Death and resurrection, it destroys the achievement mindset for Christians. It's fine for advancing in the world. It's fine for living wisely in Proverbs. It's a terrible way to measure your Christian life. And then death and resurrection is our belonging. Right? Simply what Jesus has done. And if he puts other people in, if he has other people doing amazing things, wow, great! Not, are they really good enough? They're really thinking it rightly. Okay. This is heavy stuff, you guys. But you gotta realize as we walk through, it's all one interaction. It all, all goes together. And then Jesus is teaching them all the way through, not separate little nuggets, but things about the death and resurrection and how it starts to play out in your life. And this one last way that's amazing and important, the death, resurrection, and judgment. Jesus is still holding this little kid on his lap. And he has this little nobody sitting there, and, and he refers to her. Look, whoever, verse 42, causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus, you got so serious. What is he worried about? Taking this child who looks adoringly at Jesus, who simply receives the gift of Jesus dying for her, who rejoices in that, you take that child and you push her to sin. What is he thinking of? I hear sin and I think, oh, oh, if we lead, lead kids into moral failure or, or sexual morality, like child abuse or something, I start thinking, wow, the terrible ways the world does those things. And that's not what he means. Those are terrible things. He's talking about you and me as humble children who have the gospel, who get that it's an announcement, who are simple receivers of the goodness of God, and we're pushed to do what? Grow up. That was great that you were a little kid. Grow up. Get it together. Start earning your keep. In other words, get what? Greater. You're not playing the game enough. You're trying to rank them on. Get in the rankings. This is how strongly Jesus wants to destroy the game that you and I insist on playing for our own self-righteousness. He pulls in other people, you know. 
Cause, cause to be about self-righteousness is to compare with someone else and to point a finger at other people and say, maybe they're not doing enough. Maybe they're not doing enough. And maybe even when you look at what they're doing, I'm not doing enough. And oh, I need to do more because I'm not sure that I'm, I have good standing before Jesus. What's that? That's all leaving the lap of Jesus. It's leaving the resurrection. It's leaving the suffering that he did for you. It's great that you know Jesus, you know, but he'll be very, very sad unless you start practicing these spiritual disciplines. I don't know a single mature believer who hasn't been faithful in private devotions. Grow up, will you? You're small now, you know, but, but, but with proper training, you can be great. This is bull. The way that we receive Jesus is we received his death and suffering for us. Not that we will now use him to make our flesh improve. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it fails, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dad. And I know I've got a heavenly father. I know he loves me so much more than I love my kids. But just, just the picture for me of, of I wish my kid could know the depth of my love for her. And the struggle of her life right now is that she's not sure sometimes that, that I love her. You know, cause I, I've got a discipliner and I do and, and I've got to help train her up and I do, but, but there's this attack and the attack at the devil, he's an accuser and he accuses my girl that she's not worthy and she's not worthy of my love. And so if into that picture comes, comes this, 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 this piece that, that a teacher sees my little girl going to the bathroom and oh wow, she's vaping. That hasn't happened. This is a hypothetical. Okay. Don't go to my kid and say, oh, vaping's not so bad. <sighs> This is not my child, but I'm telling you how I would feel. And the teacher um, comes in order to help help my kid try and not do the vaping because vaping's bad for you and not right to do in that school setting. And says, "What you don't understand? Your dad's gonna be so mad at you. You keep after that, and I'll tell you the end of that. It's terrible and death. Watch out." And 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 my kid then takes it in as my dad because I did that hates me. And it starts to rob my kid of her assurance of the amazing love that, that I have for my kid. I want to go tackle that teacher and beat him up. Because they're taking my precious kid and they're undermining the very center of what she needs to have for her life, which is that her dad's got her back always. And, 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 <laughs> and as a dad who has adopted kids, it's ten times more. Because the attack of the devil is always... I don't belong. Every single person in here is adopted in the family of God. You're adopted in the family of God because Jesus Christ died for you. You receive it. Who wants to steal it? The devil does. What's the line of attack? You don't deserve it. Look what you did today. Judgment, right? And Jesus feels so strongly. This is the, this is the heart of where he's headed at in this verse. He says, if you take this simple receiver of Jesus and you make her doubt, you rob her of her assurance, you make her uncertain based on her behavior, based on her sin, based on her action, based on her circumstances, and you cause her to sin, and the only sin that matters is unbelief. Anything that's not of faith is sin, right? 
It would be better for you, Jesus says, if you took a millstone and you fastened it around your neck and you had someone throw you out the boat. This is God talking. What should this do to you? I'll tell you what it does to me. It humbles me. Makes me very hesitant to impose my pathway of improvement on people. We gotta keep coming back to the gospel. And maybe you'll say, Dax, I know your pathway, whatever, but I don't use your path. I use God's pathway. You do? You realize that God's pathway is death and resurrection? What's yours? Is that yours? Because that's what Jesus is setting up. He's teaching about his death and resurrection for them. That is the assurance that they're going to have, that, that, they, that he's got them. And even though they die, they will live. And, and we take it away from people. And so we need to stay humble. Jesus died for you and me. That's fantastic, right? And do not move. Not, and now let's get you on the path to glory. You've got the glory. We saw him transfigured last week. His name is Jesus. He is the path to glory, and not just in moving from this simple faith. It's in seeing yourself as you are. Because that's really what we're talking about in these, in, as Jesus, who's God, he sees it, he's laying it out for us. The greatest danger is you. And Jesus is pointing right at you. Your problem is you. And these disciples, they're with Jesus, but they're arguing about their works. They don't understand the incredible center of everything is just receiving Jesus in his action. They're needy all the way through. And so Jesus keeps at it. Take it in. Don't miss this. These are heavy words on purpose from God to you and me. And he says this, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And, and, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Whoa. See this. Jesus doesn't lower the bar on sin even a little. High, high bar. Sin is missing the mark. It's rebellion against God. It's seeking your own self-righteousness. It's not submitting entirely to God. And you must be radically opposed to sin. Yeah, it should crackle like the lightning storms. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. It does matter. You have to get rid of sin or else unquenchable fire awaits. Hell awaits where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. That's not a technical description, by the way. That's just terribleness. Better to be crippled without hands and feet. Better to be blind and totally dependent than to have ability and be strong and whole and sinning, which is what you do, achievement addict. Go ahead. Come on. I know. I know we're almost done, but look, it's, if you've got two hands, there might be some people who don't in our body, so that's okay. But if you have two hands, lift them up for me like this. Why in the world do you have two hands? 
He just said, if your hand causes you to sin, don't, 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 don't have two hands. And, and two feet, why do we have two feet? Why do I looking at all these people with eyes? Well, Jesus is just talking hyperbole. He doesn't really mean it. You think God doesn't mean that sin sends you to hell? What's the problem? Well, I know something, and you know it too. And it's just so we, we take this the wrong way. We think somehow, I cut off my hand because my hand leads you to sin, and then I won't sin anymore. But I do. I'd sin again. I just have to cut off the other hand. And now I'm out of hands. And, and, and then really what I need to do is cut off my brain. But I can't live without my brain or take out my heart. I need a new, I can't do these things. I just cannot do them because sin has me and, and I'm lost. And so what Jesus is saying is here, don't think it would be way better for you if, if you think you're accomplishing because two whole hands gives me the ability to do things. It would be better for you not to be able to do a thing and have to receive the mercy of God. It would be better for you not to be able to walk and think that you can get places and do stuff for God. It would be better for you not to be able if you would only see that your only hope is receiving me. Because the reality is you've got a sin problem that won't go away by your many works. Whoever got rid of sin by cutting off hands or tearing out eyes like it does it, That's why he says this and ends with this phrase, for everyone will be salted with fire. The salted idea, you could almost in some translations, it's more in destruction with fire. We are going down. You're dying. If you haven't experienced the death of a loved one, if you haven't experienced the death of that way, you will experience some death. It will be your own. We will all be salted with fire. Why? Because we have all sinned. This is a reference to destruction. We will be destroyed. We are sinners. We enter into the death of Jesus because of sin. Jesus who entered into death too because he took on our sin. This is what death is. Our only hope has always been that Jesus Christ will raise us. If this isn't the message, we have no message. So that's why this is how he ends. Look, salt, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So you see, you've got to live here. Sin is horrible, and, and, and you do it all the time. My only hope isn't that, that somehow I'm going to advance out of sin and, and personally put it to death, like I'm not going to do any sin anymore. The, the, my hope is, I, I hate it, I don't want to sin, but my only hope is that I'm forgiven by God. I hold on to the one thing I have, and I hope you do too. Jesus died for you. His word of promise, let go of you, our ability to attain this. See that you are needy and lost and torn. Not that you have hands and feet and eyes that can somehow get you closer to God. He finds us in the desert of death, not in the garden of improvement. In the power of the resurrection of Jesus, he puts us on his shoulders and he carries us home. This is the ministry we have reflected in Paul. For example, here in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message. What's the message? Reconciliation. 
That's not a, a message of personal improvement. It's a message of death and resurrection. It's a message of the cross. You are a sinner. This is true. Do not think you escape. Do not think today you have moved past this. You continue to sin. You have not cut off your hands and feet. You have not torn out your eyes. And if you did, it would not help. Your brain cannot be scooped out. Your heart cannot be removed. You need to receive the death of Jesus for you. You need to trust that He will raise you from the dead. So receive this this morning. This is the announcement from the cross. He forgives you. For last year's sin, for last week's sin, for last night's sin, more importantly, for sin today. Oh, you were forgiven and you have this by promise without condition, simply by accepting. You have this not by your promise of effort or return. What presumption that you can. You have this by the love of Jesus. Your achievement game is over. Your belonging is certain because of his love and your deserved judgment pardoned forever. If we confess our sins, this first John, right? He is what? Faithful and just to take away our sins so we don't have to sin. No, to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the message. This is the gospel. This is your life today. Praise God with me. It is finished. Let's pray.